नमो ब्रह्मादिभ्यो ब्रह्म विद्या संप्रदाय कर्तृभ्यो वंशर्षिभ्यो महद्यो नमो गुरुभ्य शंकर शंकराचार्य केशव बादरायण सूत्रभाषिवृत वंदे भगवंदनपुनःश्वरो गुरुरात्मीति मुक्तिद विभागिने व्योमेहाय दक्षिणाूर्त नम शांति मंत्र आप्यायंगाक्षुक्षोत्रो बलमींद्रिया ब्रह्मोपनिषद माहं ब्रह्म निराक्रह्म निराकोराकरण मे अस्तु तदात्मेय उपनिषत्सु धर्मा ते मयि सन्तु ते मयि सन्तु So, in the Narada Sanat Kumara discussions, or the question from Narada, Tokasya Param Tarayatu, I can cross over this ocean of sorrow. So, we saw that Sanat Kumara asking Narada, what do you know? so that i can teach you more and about that so he gave a list of all the vidyas he had from all the vedas vedangas then this auxiliary and even the mundane things like nakshatra vidya chatra vidya all those things which he has got a, he had a list of long list of certificates which he had so sanat kumar said all these things are just but nothing but names so you have to go beyond the names you will have accessibility as far as the nomenclature of those things are concerned but you will not be able to go beyond that so he asks keeps on asking is there anything bigger better than that or is there anything higher than that so yeah. we saw that he has taken from speech mind will memory contemplation understanding strength food water heat akasha then ether smara memory hope aasha life prana satyam truth and satyam and understanding vijnana then thought and understanding etra manute etra then we have also understood that ativada the knowledge of speaking the truth which can materialize such a person who has mastered the truth and speaks the truth his speech becomes truth in the materialization form and like that then for that the higher than that we were told that shraddha the faith in the existence of a higher reality is mandatory for knowing the higher levels of this when we are in the transcendental levels so from shraddha nistishtati the steadfastness in the faith both go together hand in hand the faith and the steadfastness is a dual pronged approach for knowing the truth based on that only the actions or the relative activity for knowing the higher can be done but then narada was told by sanat kumara that 
टू नो दैट यदा वही सुखम लभते आता करोती ना सुखम लब्ध्वा करोती सुखमेव लब्ध्वा करोती सुखम तू एवा विधिज्ञास तब्यम इति सुखम बगवा विज्ञासाइ In the twenty-second one word, he said that Narada, nothing can be done unless the propelled by happiness. Every word you will find happiness is the subject. For every aspiration, activity, and desire, prior to conceiving anything, there is this presence of happiness which is pulling us towards that objects, and that happiness is the reason which is we are all doing our activity so you must know what happiness is only when you know what is happiness then you will know the propelling force behind the creation the whole process of creation manifestation distribution srishti sthiti laya evolution involution what type of outer entire type of activity that are happening in the cosmos is an urge of for happiness urge for happiness is the happiness trying to recover its own status or the consciousness and to establish itself in its own pristine all compressiveness come so this activity this this karoti this krit karma or the what is that seeing as is the fundamental propelling force by the happiness present in every atom reclaiming its own status because now everything has been identified as the names and forms because as the evolution and involution we saw that and therefore we should understand that happiness is the back of everything and every effort will be motivated by happiness and therefore the activities are also propelled by the happiness then we saw that it is where is this happiness is it in the objects or is it in the sign the subject or in the mind of the subject so there seems to be a flaw in the doctrine that happiness is there in the object or in the subject or put together both the subject and the object when the sub subject acquires the object is there any fulfillment of happiness becomes real no there also we found that it is transient in nature there is no permanency for the happiness happiness which is there in the objects which is when absorbed by the subject there seems to be a fleeting momentary happiness but that seems to be forfeiting because it doesn't last long so what is thought as happiness at that moment is not really the happiness but it is only a glimpse of happiness or a reflection of happiness which is being felt on the, on a deeper analysis we can make out that so there must be there must be somewhere from this reflection is appearing we are not able to see per se in the objects the happiness as everlasting but at the same time we cannot deny the presence of happiness also so where is this 
pure happiness or the ultimate happiness, it must be somewhere that this happiness which we are now being propelled, in the object it is not definitely infinite, it is definitely finite. Because we saw that, you know, by getting the objects and even the mental level when we are when we are having some sort of happiness, it doesn't last long. So finite object and finite subject cannot put together, cannot become infinite. Both be any number of finite you add together, still this doesn't become infinite in nature. So Sanat Kumara says that, my dear Narada, happiness is not anywhere, yet it is everywhere. It cannot be pinpointed to one item or one place or one location. But it is in the completeness of the being that you can get that happiness, know the happiness. You cannot find happiness anywhere. But it is in the completeness of being the nature of object, the nature of subject, when it is known, the happiness can be known. So therefore, the finite reality cannot give you the happiness unless you know the, the being behind the finite things like the object and the subject. Therefore, you should know what is the real happiness and how it is to be understood. So in the 23rd section, Narada is being told by Sanat Kumara, Yovai bhuma tat sugam na alpe sugam asti bhumaiva sugam bhuma tu eva vijiknyasitavyam iti bhumanam bhagavo vijiknyasa iti. Here the Upanishad is introducing a very unique word called bhuma. Bhuma, the word in Sanskrit, is also a very unique word because normally the elongated akara, the AR sound at the end, is indicating of a feminine gender word. Whereas here, Bhuma, the Dirka akara, the ending word, is a pullinga or a masculine word, which is very, very rare in Sanskrit. It is an exception. Because of that very nature, because this is an exception. And what is Bhuma? in the meaning, literal meaning, abundance, abundance or completeness or totality or all-encompassing, that Purnatum is what it is called. So happiness can be said as happiness is plenum or happiness is completeness or it is the totality of everything. And hence, it is absolute. That is how Sanat Kumara declares happiness as the term Bhuma is now to be understood. It implies that absoluteness in both quality and quantity and an uncontained character of permanency in every type can include immortality, infinity, eternity, all type of absoluteness, whatever you, we can think about in our mind is included in that one word, Bhuma.
or in one word if you want to say it is the brahman or the absolute being it is what it is that in that alone is what is happiness if that is the case in that alone is happiness why is that we feel happiness in the objects there must be some mystery behind the such happiness in the objects of the world or in our mind so sanat kumara says na alpe sukham asti the finite alpa means finite in the finite things this happiness cannot remain permanently because the nature of objects being finite has a beginning and end so as long as that is that this reflection of happiness also have a time bound you know expression because it is using this tool of the matter or the object therefore the finite objects do not contain happiness it is only in the infinite that pure happiness is there what is being felt in the sub, in the object limited object or the finite object is a reflective nature of the happiness the reason is that the presence of bhuma is felt in every object this bhuma is present everywhere but in some mysterious reason in the objects this happiness do not last because they are being conditioned by names and forms and adjectives of it therefore the happiness is covered by the name and form and the adjective the qualities of the objects and for towards the qualities we develop likes and dislikes so even though the present that object has the happiness or is reflecting the happiness our likes and dislikes are the one which is covering the nature of the happiness of the object there is something in this object which is capable of indicating that behind them there is this reservoir of happiness but it is covered by our likes and dislikes only when we set outside our likes and dislikes there is a sense of completeness and there is a sense of happiness in the object that is when we and the object has not been acquired or consumed by us when it is outside we feel an attraction and happiness towards that as long as we once we procure it or aggrandize it or make it ourselves it becomes a object as part of us just as we do not value anything from our own body the eyes are required for seeing only when we lose an eye we realize the value of the eye even then the happiness is brought by the eyes ears and every sense organ the importance of our organs we do not give them the importance or see the happiness in them because we are so much bound towards the looking for happiness outside and not seeing within ourselves now this is the reason why even though there is semblance of happiness in everything we feel that there is a limitation for happiness in the objects 
because it is our way of evaluating happiness. So, when the sensation of thought of consciousness having achieved one's purpose brings about a stimulation within us, which is characterized by a feeling of completeness, a sensation of completeness, and something has been obtained or now become part of me or the self. But the mind cannot be satisfied that the idea that the purpose has been fulfilled merely because of the contact or the possession of the object. Because it becomes familiar to it and there is a false sense of feeling that it is no more nothing novel to us or nothing now I need not work towards that or it has become part of me. Therefore, mind drops the happiness attitude from the object because familiarity, familiarity breeds contempt. This is exactly what happens. The mind realizes that a mistake has been committed unconsciously and it withdraws from the content. This is a mistake which the mind does and withdraws from the the happiness which is present in the object even when it has been become part of us and the mind then searches for some other sources of happiness. This perennial search for happiness external makes whatever has become ours less valuable and less source of happiness. So every experience of happiness in this world becomes passing, fleeting, transient, momentary and character of momentary character in nature. This becomes the biggest hurdle in our search for happiness. Apart from that, there is also another reason why we are not remaining happy because we feel ourselves separate and the objects are separate. And therefore, there is a union of the object and the subject, which is giving a momentary happiness. And whatever comes together will also have to separate one, one day or the other. This is the reason why there is only a apparent happiness in the world, because in our coming in contact with the world outside, we feel the moment it is in contact, we feel the happiness. But the water is coming in contact also has a come separatedness. Therefore, the, when the separatedness takes place, whether it is money, wealth, name, fame or anything, whatever it is, we feel a void or a lack of happiness. What happiness we enjoy or we perceive when that happiness is being felt is a flash of the happiness of Bhuma itself. But we are not becoming complete by that. So only by being complete or completeness of being, that becomes the source of complete or permanent happiness. But where is this completeness of being? It is definitely not in the sense objects or the objects outside in the world or nor it is seen in the inside the mind because psychologically and socially we are also having the, you know, association of the thoughts related to objects or the emotions or feelings which are fleeting in nature. 
So there is no completeness at any point of time that it is brim or full. No. This, like a river flowing perennially, the thoughts keep flowing either internally on the emotional thoughts and feelings or towards the external objects. So, Sanat Kumara says, Na alpe sukamasti, not in the finite, whichever comes and goes, or which are transient in nature, we can never find the completeness of happiness. Bhumaivasukam, in the absolute fullness alone is the bliss or the happiness which we are seeking. So Narada, the truth, this is the truth, the total union of being as such, which I regard as Bhuma, is the real bliss. It is the total completeness is the bliss. So Bhumaivasukam, it is the fullness it is the fullness in fullness. Bhuma means fullness, absolute completeness. Bhumaiva Sukham, that is what is the Sukham or the bliss. How can you enter into this Bhuma unless you know what is Bhuma? Now I told you the happiness is called Bhuma, but you must know what is Bhuma or what is the fullness which is being referred by the union, by the term Bhuma in the definition. Oh, great master, please tell me what is this Bhuma. Please introduce me to this great mystery, what you said as Bhuma now. What is that fullness or completeness you are mentioning about? Where can I find it? How can I know that? Is the Narada's question. Itnyavayadu. So, Anath Kumara makes sweeping command with which Narada is shaken totally. Yatrana anyapasyadi anyat srunodi anyat vijanati sabhuma. Ata yatra anyapasyadi anyat srunodi anyat vijanati tad alpam. Yovai bhuma tad amritam. Ata yad alpam tad martyam. Sabagava kasmin pradishtadam idi sve mahimni yadivarna mahimni idi. Now here is how to recognize Bhuma or what to know, what is this Bhuma or that, the completeness or the completeness of happiness, absoluteness or being or happiness, the happiness of being. Yatrana Anyat Patsyati. It is where you do not see separatedness. Other than you, you don't see anything else. The you here is not the individual self. Your own nature in which you should know yourself first. When you know that, that is the time when you will know that there is nothing else to be seen. Yatrana anyat pasyadi, anyat srunodi. You do not hear anything other than yourself. Anyat vijanadi, there is nothing to know other than yourself. Sabhuma, that is the only time when it is completeness or the fullness of being. Because there is nothing else to be known, nothing else to be seen, nothing else to be heard. That is the completeness. But where there is something when it is seen as separatedness, yatra anyat pasyati, anyat srunoti, anyat vijanadi. 
if you hear something other than you tadalpam that is finite yovai bhuma amritam this bhuma which i told which is where there is nothing other than that that is immortal amritam yadalpam tad martyam what is finite has a beginning and an end therefore it is limited by space and time so sabagava yasmin tasmin pratishtitam iti where is this located so sankumara se swe mahimni it is abiding in itself yadiva na mahimni iti can i even say whether it is in mahimna it is pratishtitam because where can it have a dependency so the so the commentator goes into a great depth of explaining that where one sees nothing except one's own self where one hears nothing except one's own self where one understand nothing except one's own self that is bhuma the absolute and where if someone sees something outside one that is finite and that is having a limitedness so here is the whole matter what is fullness and what is not fullness has been mentioned by yatrana anyat pasyati anyat shrunodi anyat vijana so it cannot be that it can it is located in something else there is a dependency for that to be so because narada asked where is it located no so sanat kumara says you cannot say it is dependent upon something or something is as it has got its support like the space is the support for all the objects but space also has got a dependency on the awareness because space is dependent on awareness if awareness is not there no space is there so like that what what is the dependency for there there you cannot say the dependency in this case because there is nothing other than that it is the fullness completeness the the purnatvam or the, the entirety or the plenum what you can call it as it is the support of all things everything is inside that therefore it does you don't see something other than that because it is included in it like how we say that you know in the space that space is there in the object which is inside the space which needs space it depends upon space it is expressing and staying in the space because it is made of space something similar that in this case it is happiness the being the being the happiness of being everything there is no separatedness what we can feel about it what is this type of strange question which you are putting to me narada where where it is pratishtitam where it is located as if you can go to some place and you know take some of it to make yourself happy no rather i say it has no support and it doesn't need any support at all and it cannot be located anywhere because it has something has it something can be located only if it is limited and it is located somewhere else when this is everything and everything is in it 
how can this have a location or where it can be situated? So you have some wrong notion in your mind, Narada, because you are thinking in terms of objects in the world, like Go Ashyam Iha Mahima Itya Chakshade Asti Hiranyam Dasabhajam Chetrani Ayatanani Iti Nahameva Bravimi Bravimi Iti Hovacha Anyasya Anyasmin Pradishtitam Iti. People in this world consider, you know, cattle, horse, elephant, varia, I mean, wife, child, property, and things like that as, you know, as what you call the support or sustenance, things which are required for sustenance. There is nothing like that in, the, in which Bhuma can be supported. It doesn't require any support of anything at all. And we are talking now about something called absolute in sense. And you have in your mind that things require some support. So Narada, don't consider, compare this with your, with your limited mind as something which needs support from others. It is the support of everything. The relativity of things is the support of things is in the world, but not in the case of Bhuma. Bhuma is the support of everything. It is self-sufficient, self-supported, self-complete and self-existent. It is the absolute of being or absolute being. It is everywhere. It is not limited to time, space or location. Oh, my dear Narada, your question itself is unfounded because you have not understood what it is. And it is unwarranted. Why you ask that, where is it in, as if it is in space? You, you have, you have to go beyond the space and everything. It is in the absolute of being. There is no space where it, where you cannot find it. There is no object which is not in it. So it is virtually the substratum for everything. So, Explaining further, Narada, you, I mean, Sanat Kumara uses even the locative terms like Sayeva Adastad, Sayeva Uparishtad, Sayeva Paschad, Sayeva Purastad, Dekshinataha, Uttaranata, Sayevedam Sarvamityadadha, Ahankara Desha, Eva Mahameva Adastadaham Uparishtadeham, Paschadaham Purastadaham, Dekshinataham, Aham Uttarada, Hameva Idam Sarvamiti. If you look, if you look down below, you will find it. If you look up, you go up, you will find the go behind, go forward, go left, go right. There is nowhere it is, there is no place where it is not there. Oh Narada, what can I tell you about it? The whole cosmos is filled, it, filled by it. Or rather the cosmos is in it. It is not merely feeling that it is every, everything or every, it is everything. All these things are that you see with your eyes and nothing but configurations of its own being. So when it is a statement of this nature, we are not capable to even Contain such a knowledge in our mind. That is why in the, uh, the, uh, the Upanishad says, 
Yetovacho Nivartande, Aprapya Manasasara, because even mind cannot fathom that. But the moment when we when we say it is everywhere, it is everywhere, it is there, right, left, no, top, bottom, everywhere, the it word implies a third person other than me. See, this is what the language has got a problem in communication. Because the words cannot explain that. Because the moment we talk about the Bhuma, Brahman, Atman, the tendency for the mind to conceive it is as something other than us. So it's in the third person nature, the way in which mind always grasps knowledge. It can never have the right method of knowing that it is me. To make that, the Upanishad now uses the word aham. So till now it is sa is adastad, sa upanishad. Sa means that, it or it, in the third person. So the one ahankara adesha, it is not that egoistic. Ahamkara, this aham word is now being used. Ahameva dastad, ahameva uparishtad, ahameva vastad, purastad, deknata, aham uttarada, aham edam idam sarvam. At least now stop thinking it as something outside you. Now think yourself as what I was telling as it. Bhuma as an outside third party thing or third person thing, replace it with aham. You are that. You are there. When, when you are everything, can you say you are in the right, you are in the left, you are in the top, you are in the bottom or world? You are everything then. That is why aham yeva idam sarvam iti. I am indeed is all these things which is being now said as objects. Atman in the subject is that which is identical with the Bhuma, that is cosmic or complete or fullness, plenum in nature. There, be, there is no distinction between the, the when you say Bhuma as it and the Bhuma as Aham. That the Atman and the Bhuma are identity. That is why the word Ahankara Adesha, the Upanishad is saying that. So the teacher says further, Athata Atma Adeshaha Eva Matmei Vadastad Atma Uparishtad Atmada Paschadat Purastad Atma Deshinadat Atma Uttaradat Atma Atmei Vedam Sarvamiti Sava Yesha Evam Pasyan Nevam Manuan Nevam Vijanan Nevam Atma Reti, Atma Krida, Atma Mithuna, Atma Nandaha, Saswarad Bhavati, Sasya Sarveshu, Lokeshu Kamacharo Bhavati, Athaye Anya Yatha Viduhu, Anya Rajanaste, Shasya Loke Bhavanti, Tesham Sarveshu Lokeshu, Atamacharo Bhavati. Now the saying that Atha Atma Desha, Replacing the Adesha means to replace. Atma Adesha, by replacing the word self, myself, in the place of it, 
ಸಹ ಉತ್ತರದ ದಕ್ಷಿಣದ ಆತ್ಮಾದೇಶ ಆತ್ಮ ಅದಸ್ತಾತ್ ಆತ್ಮ ಉಪರಿಷ್ಟಾತ್ ಆತ್ಮ ಪಶ್ಚಾತ್ ಆತ್ಮ ಪುರಸ್ತಾತ್ ಆತ್ಮ ದಕ್ಷಿಣದ ಆತ್ಮ ಉತ್ತರದ ಆತ್ಮ ಏವ ಇದಂ ಸರ್ವಿತಿ ಒನ್ ಹೂ ಸೀಸ್ ಲೈಕ್ ದಟ್ ಸವಾಯೇಶ ಏವಂ ಪಶ್ಯನ್ನೇವಂ ಮನ್ವನ್ನೇವಂ ಪ್ರಜಾನನ್ನೇವ ಹೀ ವಿಲ್ಸ್ ನೌ ಬಿ ಏಬಲ್ ಟು ಅಂಡರ್ಸ್ಟ್ಯಾಂಡ್ ದೇವನ್ I am seeing myself, I am knowing myself, Manwa Neva. I am understanding myself or I am grasping myself. I am Ahamevaita Sarvam. Now that is the only way in which you can understand ourselves. The, the words which the Upanishad use is unique in its own nature. Atma Rati. Rati is a t- typical word which is used when you enjoy with something else other than you that the typical the word used is ready when the when the love and the lovers en- engage themselves in enjoyment that is the word used by ready but here both the lover and the love are not two different things you are the one and the same yet you have the happiness of that ready or that that enjoyment of engagement atma krida when you play with yourself krida is to play atma krida playing with yourself because there is nothing other than you so you are not playing with some objects or some uh, animal or some uh, tools or anything like that it is atma atma krida then the word is atma mithuna mithuna means population or you know becoming one when the two becomes one it is called the mithuna so atma mithuna is a word used here is that you cannot have a second one other than you therefore you become one with everything there is nothing called everything which you can't and then when you have become everything what is atma ananda that is the time you are in the brim of happiness because you have become the happiness what now till has been told as bhuma is now your nature you have become atmananda and when you are atmananda sasvarad bhavati you become the monarch of your own world because you are everything everything belongs to you you are the controller of everything you can decide what you want to do there is nothing which is not under your control that swarat means raj swaraj means self it is a monarch the king by himself tasya sarveshu lokeshu kamajaro bhavati there is no world he is not access accessible to him he is accessible in all the worlds whichever can be thought about or whichever he wants to enter or wherever he wants to go were therefore kamacharo bhavadi he can move freely from whichever realm he want to do whether in the waking world or dream world or deep sleep will the movement is not controlled by something else you are the master you know what to enjoy whether you want to enjoy the waking world dream world or deep sleep world you have absolute control over it you become the monarch you become the king of yourself you are no more at the mercy of your sense organs you are no more at the mercy of your intellect you are no more mercy of your mind 
you are the king of everything. The, the happiness of such a person cannot be put into words. So the Upanishad use these words like Atma Rati, Atma Kreda, Atma Mitra, Atma Ananda. Athaye, then now the on, suppose if it doesn't happen, that is what now the Upanishad is going to say. Athaye Anyathad Vidhuhu, Anyan Rajanaste, Shaya Loke, Bhavanti, Tesham, Sarveshu Lokeshu, Atamacharo Bhavanti. If you cannot grasp and understand this, Vidhu, Anya Rajanaste, you will be at the mercy of others. Rajana here means Raja here means one who controls. The king is the name, is the main. But here the word Rajana means one Rajate, one who controls you. Anya Rajana Haste, they will be controlling you. Shayaloke. And it will be a world where it will be diminished. You will be you will be torn between the, you know, by the controls coming from the sense organs, the mind, the intellect, your bodily fatigue, your you know, your emotional fatigue, your mental fatigue. All those things will be eating away your being or your energy and everything. Tesham sarveshu lokeshu. In whichever world they go, or such a person goes. Akacham Akamacharo Bhavati. He has no freedom to move around Yateshtam as he wishes because he is being controlled by the Anyan Raja, Anya Raja state. Therefore, you have no way you can control, get that happiness which you have been now looking for. Atma Swarajya, the universal lordship, is the only which will place you in the brim of happiness or in the plenum of happiness. That is why one who possesses cosmic freedom, in the sense that there is no place in the cosmos where he cannot access, and wherever he wants, he wishes, he reaches because he is everything. There is nothing which he can wish outside him because everything is within him. Therefore, there is this is what the world, the Upanishad calls Swarat, means he is the king of himself. And in the last section, Sanat Kumara says, Pasyaha evam etasya evam pasyataha evam manvan yasya evam vijanataha atmataha pranaha atmataha ashamataha smaraha atmataha akasha atmataha teja atmataha apaha atmataha avivavati robava atmataha Annam Atmataho Bellam Atmataho Vijnanam Atmataho Dhyanam Atmataha Chitta Atmataha Mataha Sangalpa Atmataha Manaha Atmataho Vag Atmataho Nama Atmataho Mantra Atmataha Karmani Atyataha Evam Sarvamidi Whatever have been the listed out till from the Nama from the beginning till now. Sanat Kumara says that everything is from this Atma only. To such a blessed person, everything comes, arises from his own self. He does not have to go do anything or go anything, do things. But things come to him as if. Because there is no thing. The ocean doesn't go to the river, nor the river goes to the ocean like that. The water is there in the river, in the ocean. But we feel that, you know, 
the river goes to the ocean but actually speaking there is no difference because it is water all the time whoever is endowed with this great experience this knowledge this possession of wisdom for such a person everything has been mentioned in graduation in categories right from the first one which we said nama going up to the point where it you know arises automatically from the stage by stage from the trans trans from the transactional world to the transcendental world and beyond the all those things akasha teja vayu ap apaha and even in the transcendent world like smara asha etc all those things are under his beck and call because he is the samrat he is the king of everything and such a person is a jeevan mukta because his jeevan his life is freed from the entanglements of limitations which otherwise is clutching all of us because he has identified himself with that plenum the absoluteness of bhuma for him nothing is a restriction anymore nor he has a fear of birth and death because he is beyond the limitation of finitude so he is no more in the final final what you call the final level of finitude he is in the infinite such a person is called a jeevan mukta and they call him as a jeevan mukta he is really a repository of absoluteness and that he has realized everything comes from him everything flows from him and everything becomes him he sees himself in all he has become all and there is nothing which he sees separate from him that is the state of such a jeevan mukta and the last mantra says that tadesha sloko na pasyo mrityum pasyadi na rogam no no ta dukkhatam sarvam ka pasya pasyadi sarvam aapnoti sarvashah iti sa ekada bhavati trida bhavati panchata saptada navada taiva punasche ekadadasha smrutah satam cha dasham cha cha ekadasha sahasrani cha vimshati ahorah shuddha ahara shuddhau satta shuddhi one who has this realization is free from all kind of physical affliction mental affliction affliction or otherwise any any type of affliction the rogam na mrityum pasyati he doesn't see death na rogam he doesn't see sickness na dukkada he doesn't see sorrow anywhere sarvam hya pasya pasyati sarvam apnoti sarvasha he has percolated into every atom or every being so he seems himself everything ekata bhavadi he becomes one of with all he becomes trida bhavadi if he want to say that teja apaha annam if you want to divide it that way trida bhavadi panchada bhavadi if you want to say akasha vayu agni tejo vayu prithivi all these pancha bhudas saptada navada that list is unending even millions and millions if you want to say they are mere numbers because he is everything so in that in him numbers have no relevance at all 
then sanatkumara says ahara siddho satta shuddhi ahara means whatever we are consuming the purity because he is all ahara siddho satta shuddhi he has nothing other than him which is shuddham and ashuddham what is called pure and impure if another than anything other than me i can say it is impure but if i am there everything is pure i cannot have something pure and impure in that because i am everything therefore ahara siddho satta shuddhi and one who knows that way that whatever i am consuming is myself the the what is coming through the eyes ears nose pain touch smell taste and the inner organs of mind everything is myself and therefore the purity is that i am the one which is there is nothing other than me there is nothing impure to to declare impure from me satya shuddho dhruva smriti his memory or his remembrance is in its pinnacle dhruva smriti due to that pure thing smriti labde sarvagrandinam vipramoksha when this dawns on such a person sarvagrandinam vipramoksha all type of bondage which he was otherwise thinking that you know the the mental bondage the psychological bondage the physical bondage all these type of bondages vipramoksha instantaneous release is happening tasmay to him mridida kashayaya tamasa paran darshayati to such a person there is no ocean of sorrow at all because even the ocean of sorrow is a misnomer because he is himself everything so uh, there is no alpe dukha sugamas na sugamasti no if you see there is a finitude then only the limitedness and the sorrow can come when you have become the infinite and everything is included in it there is nothing which is to cross over you have become everything so where will you cross over so atmavit atmaiva bhavati so when one who knows this as is known nature atma swarupa and for him there is nothing outside him so he is he has crossed over the atma the dukkham by knowing that there is no other than think himself worthy dudiyad vai bhayam bhavati the author upanishad says from the second we can get a fear because the, the other one can limit us or we are limited by the existence of something other when there is nothing other than us there is no way in which any limitation can be impounded on me or no brought into me therefore there is no way i need to cross over to anywhere to have the happiness amasaparam darshayati bhagavan sanat kumara this is the way in which sanat kumara has shown the plenum of happiness the absolute of happiness or absolute of being where there is etrana anyapasyadi anyasrunodi anyadvijanaati sarvam apnodi sarvashah he is percolating everything every time and any time there is no time and space where he is not there there is nothing which is outside him such a person is the being the absolute being the purnamada purnamidam that purnatvam is what is his nature is that 
Tanatkumaran, thus Kanda Ityachashade, Kandidyachashade. As the Upanishad is closing, it repeats mostly the, the same word, the Skanda is used here. The Skanda has mean different meanings for it. The word meaning which is used in this Upanishad is that one who has crossed the ocean of sorrow, jumped into the absolute across the phenomenality of life to that divine person is our Abhisan. He is Skanda. He has means. Skanda means he has reached the absolute and he takes us to the absolute. He is shouldering us. By shouldering us with that knowledge, he has taken us to that absoluteness. Skanda is another meaning is of, uh, of Kartikeya, the second son of Parvati and Shiva, who is become the, you know, the, the you know, chief of army for the Devas. But here we are not taking that meaning. Here we are taking the man, the one who has reached absolute. Skanda here means the absolute. And one who takes us to the absolute by shouldering us, carrying on his shoulder and taking to that realm of plenum, absoluteness, is he called the Skanda. That is how the Upanishad has turns. Om Apyayantu Mamangani Vakprana Chakshutramato Belamindriyanicha Sarvani Sarvam Brahma Upanishatam Maham Brahmaniraguryam Mama Brahmanirakarod Aniragaranamastu Aniragaranam Mayastu Tadatmani Nirdeya Upanishatsu Dharmaha Te Mai Santu Te Mai Santu Om Shanti 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 Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vasishyate Om Shanti 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 Arihiyom Sri Guru Pyonamaha Arihiyom Thank you. Dhanyavada. Thank you, Bindoji. Thank this you. This session was really good, really, really good. And yeah, I had one question regarding this. Have the scriptures uh, told about? Is my voice okay, audible? Yeah, yeah, it's clear. Okay. Have the scriptures tried to explain this every when when the consciousness is trying to know? Like every action, knowing, hearing, seeing. There is a broader definition in which uh, they speak is that this consciousness is trying to know itself. Would you agree to that? Because I can build the context after this if you agree. That is possible when you see that consciousness separate. Consciousness trying to know itself, in itself, linguistically, if you look at it, there is something called self-dependency or error in the self-dependency. You can't climb your own shoulder. So it is a statement to make people understand that when we are trying to know the knowledge, our nature is knowledge and our awareness is trying to know in awareness something that is in the nature of awareness. 
in really speaking there is nothing called activity that is why in the in the absolute there is no activity no doership no knowingness no knowingness or anything it is the nature of knowing or being of knowing so there is nothing which is there you are just it you are that that is why even that sixth chapter we said tad tvamasi the word asi means you are that it is not that you should know it is not what the universe said that upanishad very clearly said you are that means you you are that that's it you can never say you know you don't know yourself if you think you are something else then you can say you don't know your true nature or what you are from that point of view what you said may appear to be the statement that you are trying to know yourself that is how that has to be understood okay okay so would you also say in trying to know myself and this is all because of the bliss or happiness aspect but what happens is we forget it again and this loop get continued i mean there is a finite attainment of bliss in the middle of an experience but then again it goes outwards and again project another experience so this keeps on happening so in every experience there is happiness but it is like a finite happiness uh where the consciousness knows itself but again it it's the mind which again projects it because it it cannot limit it to its finiteness this is because we have assumed that we are not everything we are limited individuals when we keep that attitude then all you say is that from the point of view of the limited individual these activities these knowing the object being separate everything becomes valid for the one who thinks i am separate from everything but when you know that you are everything it is in you everything exists and when you know that there is nothing which is outside you as you that when i say you here i am not talking about the individualized ego it is your nature or the, your true nature is what i am referring to here so once you know that then only you will be able to see that these statements or these activities were it is applicable and were it is not applicable that is to be understood clearly thank you thank you bindu ji uh, one more question is when you say it is in you but in the lecture you were saying it is neither in the object or neither in the subject and so can you elaborate just so that yeah, the, the the bifurcation that there is a subject and there is an object is till you realize that when you realize that as your nature sarvam aapnoti sarvasha you are percolating your your perceive you are permeating into everything and when that permeation is taking how can you have a subject and object separateness it is a it is what you call the adhyasa or superposition that i am separate therefore everything else is separate from me are you really separate from everything is what you have to understand that 
Yeah, thank thank you, Bindaji. I think uh, you took us through this very important Upanishad in a very clear manner. Your material is also very helpful. Like uh, many many thanks for doing this, and uh, thank you very much. Bindaji, uh, I'm trying to lay it out so that you know you help me uh, if I am in the right direction. So we started with that, uh, you know, the reflected bliss in the objects. I take it as an expression, like, you know, a bird chirping or a baby smiling. Now I'm just moving around in Italy. The whole spring, everything is booming, the cherry blossom. That that expression of the bliss all around. Uh, what you said was, if you try to acquire it, you know, you want to pluck a flower, which is you know, nicely sort of booming. Pluck a flower, flower. That you're you're trying to, you know, get it. You know, you you try to acquire it. Then there is a temporary. You are breaking it basically. This is one one way it is laid out. Then the second thing you sort of bring in the bhuma is everywhere, left, right, center, up and down, all over. And that ahameva idam sarvam. Atma eva idam sarvam. It, it's a big one actually. I think the way you put it, you know, it is not differentiating everything at all. Is this laying out as that whole appearance is bliss? Now we looked at satanchit. Now this this whole appearance expression, you know, it is pervaded everywhere. Um, in the perception, then it, it went into the internals. You know, it 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 took the out outer world and now the inner world also described in the same way. Idamevatma. So now we are we just moved into expanded whatever you call it awareness that bhuma everywhere appearance and expressing the bliss everywhere is is this like sort of completes the completeness we're getting into now that was never covered before is that all is that the completeness we are talking about the moment you see a flower your need to take the flower comes from the feeling that the flower is there separate from me and I need to own it or hold it or have it. When you know in reality the flower is an expression of my own nature, just as I am expressing myself in this body as a human being, it is an expression of myself as a flower in the tree or a bush or a plant or an animal on the street or anything in that world which you see. If you can see it from that, it is my own expression. One is this body, the other is the flower or the animal or the table or the chair or whatever it is. And they are all in me. I am not separate from them. That separatedness, which is the reason we feel that I am limited to this physical body 
and the flower is uh, another thing which is existing in time and space separate from me. But if you, when you know that and you experience that, it is the expression of that being which we call it as Bhuma, Absolute or Atma or Brahman, whatever consciousness, whichever you say there, Absolute Consciousness. One is expressed itself as my body here as saying I, and the same thing is expressing as a flower on the bush. There is absolutely no difference between the two. It is all in that one knowing consciousness or absoluteness. Both of them have been now given a name and form. That is why it starts with the name thing when the operator started it. The moment you, that, that is the grossest level, we can separate it out. As you remove the separatedness by higher levels and everything, and when you, once you reach the Bhuma level, these separatedness are inclusive in it and you know you that is the time when you realize that even if there is separate names and forms that is that is an appearance in my in my being and once you know that all type of logic explanation will have to be based on this reality that sarvam apnudi you are you, the being, not the bodily person. That is why Ahamadesha is Ahamatkarada, Ahampashat, Ahamatta. All those the Aham is being saying the Aham is not of the individualized body. That the Aham is the Aham the Bhumaitra or Ahamatma, Aham Brahmasmi. That Aham is what is there in everything. Only in such a situation you can see the oneness in everything. Not as long as you identified with the physical mind, body, and the intellect, limited individuals. So you need to shift your identity from the limited individual to the one unifying awareness consciousness, which is here, which is called as Bhuma. Got it, Manaji. Thank you. This is eye opening, actually. Thank you. Uh, Binduji, why that uh, Bhuma word? I think it's only used here in this Upanishad or it's common word? Uh, normally we don't use that word, right? Only in this Upanishad, in this chapter, Sanat Kumara uses it. You will not find it anywhere else. And what should be the significance of that? Is it equivalent to the word substratum that we normally use? Uh, is that the context? Uh, it is something like in a very rare word in the Sanskrit language, which is used not as a common transactional language for others because he wanted to say that this is, this is only one of the type. There is nothing second to it. So that convey that meaning that there is only ekameva dudiyam. That meaning also is converted by using this word because there is no word which can substitute this. Even though the meaning can be said that, you know, the abundance or the completeness or the plenum, all these words can be used in English. But in Sanskrit itself, you can't use this as something else. Even though in the end, the commentator says that 
this word bhuma itself is the brahman of the upanishad that is what he says that thanks thanks pindas Manoj, Bhuma is also a sad vastu in this context. The way it is applied, it is everywhere, pervaded everything. It is not used, you know, equivalent to satarchit. It is having its place order. No, um, it is by sadeva somi sadeva somi the magrasi. That sat is the one sadeva that alone is there in the beginning, now, and ever. Is what the Upanishad is started with. So this Bhuma is not a placeholder or anything like that. That is why he said it is there at the top. It's at the bottom, left, right, forward, backward. Wherever you look, that is only that. Sarvam apnoti sarvasa. Apnoti the words. Apnoti is a is a verb which is means percolate or permeate. Sarvasa means all the time. It is permeating everything all the time. Means. There is nothing other than that. In other other words, that is how the Upanishad uses the word meaning for it. I have a question as well, from uh, the perspective of that. Um, if one uh, looks at the reality of what one has, uh, so that is expressing itself through my body as well, and. My mind awareness is aware of the things around me. Um, it's being lit up by consciousness, by the ultimate consciousness. So all the knowledge of the world is still part of the ultimate consciousness because that is only when it gets lit up, it becomes alive, right? There is never a time when it is not lit up. But if if it is not being experienced, okay. So the, knowledge all the time is lit up. Yes. Even when you are deep sleep, you know you exist. It's a knowledge without any adjectives. If anyone can really imbibe and really. Get into the theme and the essence of this particular seventh chapter. There is no need of any other study, but it has become your nature. You that the knowledge in this chapter has to become your true nature. That is the beauty of this particular thing. Which I, I mean, in fact, this is the first first part which I read in my journey of Vedanta. I don't know somehow whether this is the one which stumbled upon me as the first part to read, even reading before reading any other any other Upanishad or anything. But just the seventh chapter I read, and I don't know. That was it. Then everything made sense when I was reading the rest of the Upanishad and everything. So, in very simple words, um, if I am that, then I am talking to myself. Uh, even though you're using the words, but I'm talking to myself. Yeah, there is no if you are talking. Even you are talking, you, the talk, the listener, 
the voice, the nodulation, the sound, everything is that only. There's an English saying, and it says, you take yourself with you wherever you go. Um, and that feeling of, of happiness, the ultimate happiness, uh, it is like being home all the time, and you can't leave yourself no matter what you do, what activity, what you think, what uh, somebody else is, you're always home. And no matter what the other person is doing, it's also you. So it's still being home, right? Yeah, you are always at home only. Pranam Binduji, thank you. Uh, mm. The question I have is, um, <clears throat> why is there um, a further qualification of Brahman as Bhuma? Is there a, is it a state of embodied nature or what is, why is Bhuma further elaborated? We should, yeah, we should see that where we did we start from. The first statement itself from Narada was, I've heard from masters like you that the knower of Brahman, Atmavit, Arati Shokam Atmavit, that knower of Atma crosses over the ocean of sorrow. So, the teacher has to take the student to that stage where he is realizing that there is nothing called sorrow. It was that he had a no notion that if like I get the Veda, Sama Veda, Yajur Veda, Darva Veda, Nakshatra Vidya, Chatra Vidya, all type of Vidya, I should have one more Vidya called Atma Vidya. In the case of if I get an Atma Vidya, then I can use that to cross over the ocean of sorrow. That type of a mentality was with which the student approaches the master. But the master knows that the very knowledge that what he did not have was enough for him that there is nothing called sorrow because sorrow is a feeling when you feel that there is something other than you. To bring that, the word Bhuma was used because in Bhuma, the word, the literal meaning of the word Bhuma in Sanskrit is Planam or fullness or completeness. So when it is complete in itself, how can it have something which can cause a sorrow? This is how the Upanishad has taken the student from different levels by name, form, etc., etc., to the creation, through the from the transactional to transcendental, and in the transcendental itself, how the subtler realm operates, where he becomes in a mood, meditative mood, or a mood which is traveling in the realm of very subtle and inaccessible with mundane knowledge and when he comes to that stage where you know everything is done in the world unless it is propelled by happiness that is the time Narada gets the grip of what is happiness is really means 
and then when the play that happiness is not what you think as happiness to know that you should know happiness happiness is a, not a enjoyment of a, when you get something or when you hold something or behold something or consume something happiness in its true nature is being everything when you because other all other happinesses are finite in nature the moment you aggress you get it something you are happy but it has got a life it goes whatever comes has to go where will you find a happiness which is never diminishing in nature or never has a ups and down that can be only felt and experienced in our true nature because we each one of us has never felt that iness what we call it as the my own nature whether i call that as an i in the childhood teenage adult old age whatever is that the iness of me has never gone through any variation now i never felt that i have become big i has become small i has become age or i have become old i have become sick all those things are related to the body but the iness which is felt in the body has never undergone anything so we need to bring that iness that individuality is the common thing with everything in the world just as you have an iness i also have an iness your iness when you say it has not diminished i also know when what it has not diminished in me it is there in every one of us if it is every one of us it should be there in every animate and inanimate object every atom it should be there because we are not knowing it just as i do not know what you mean by your iness i know only my iness but when we share that knowledge that you are saying iness and i my iness have not undergone any change from the time i know it is common to every atom that is the time when the mind expands from the limited individuality to an individuality encompassing all sarvam apnoti sarvashah tavar word they say that yatrana anya pasyadi anya chrunodi anya dvijanadi where you do not hear see or know anything other than you that oneness is the plenum or the fullness or absoluteness that is why the word bhuma has a very special significance here Thank you. Thank you, Binduji. That's uh, very useful. Thank you. Wonderful. And um, thank you so very much for um, all that you do here on Clubhouse with your um, time and energy. It is uh, truly appreciated. Um, I was thinking of a word um, while I was listening. Uh, bhava? Um, um is a sanskrit word i was wondering i'm sure you're familiar with it um do you want to kind of could you kind of elaborate on that word are you talking about bhava or bhuma bhava bhava is is uh, what you call is the aspect with which we place ourselves before 
an interaction is commencing with the world outside. For example, we are getting angry on somebody or something, then we have a bhava of ang anger as a prerequisite for us to interact with that. Or if it is love, any, any interaction for that matter, we assume ourselves a particular expression to be exchanged with something else, then we assume that aspect. That is called bhava. Yeah, I thought of it because um, in um, in some the metaphysical um, kind of aspects, there's um, um, an essence of being, like you know, to be, um, and I, it kind of I thought relates um, to um, the I. Um, in which uh, was being referred to. So I thank you for for the um, uh, the elaboration. I, I just um, thought it was beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, that is also one of the Atma Bhava. We say that the aspect of I-ness without any what you call adjectives added to the I as a human being or a old man or a young man <clears throat> or ethnicity or sex or any 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 of those things are not included when i say atma bhava means it's pure awareness or the the one which is and the individuality with which the self the nature of the self is called that time it's called atma bhava beautiful thank you Bindoji, I just wanted to thank you for the great session. And um, I know you're about to leave, so I'll keep it very short. So I really found um, the part helpful where you were talking about um, how we have separation with an object as a subject. And when uh, temporarily the separation falls off and it the object becomes like part of us, uh, after that, it kind of becomes useless. And then we move on to the next object. So uh, you gave the example of our eyes. When we have our eyes, they're part of us. We don't value them. But if we lose our eyes, that's when we understand uh, how important it was. So basically, the separation is the reason why we are always running after objects. We are throwing our own light on the objects. The objects reflect that light as pleasure or happiness. And that's when um, we feel good for the moment. But as soon as it becomes part of us, we are done. Now we move on to the next thing. So the problem is that we are trying to get everything through the physical medium. But if we just move, uh, shift to being consciousness, then we are already everything. We don't have to run after objects again and again. I This is what I understood I wanted to share with you. And also thank you. You are right, Jasper. You are absolutely right. As long as we have the limitation feeling and identity with the individuality, everything needs to be acquired or held or 
possessed and things like that. As the moment we shift ourselves to that, that I-ness, the awareness, the consciousness which is our true nature, that is the time when we realize that there is, uh, that is the one with which everything is in that consciousness only and there is no need of separated feeling that which we thought that, you know, I am separate, that object is separate, that feeling goes away. When you, moment you, moment you shift to that awareness and look at it. Everything is consciousness, in consciousness and as consciousness only. The name and form are attributions which we give for transaction purpose. Once we know that for as a as a firm conviction, then nothing can shake us. Then that is the that is the state where you know there is no more sorrow for for a person of that nature. Because he doesn't see anything separate from him. You rightly understood that. Thank you, Bindoji. So I just have one question uh, about the separation. Sometimes I recognize this and the separation is not there, but I still get the desire. And uh, then it's almost like there's a 50% the invitation from the desire to indulge. And there is 50% also the recognition that because I'm thinking of myself as separate, um, that's why this is happening. So this is almost like you kind of know that you should not indulge, but then again, um, because of habit, you indulge, and then you just, again, take the assumption of the body-mind that you are that person. So that's where I've been in my journey uh, stuck, <laughs> if I could say that. Is there anything, or it's going to automatically happen slowly where the recognition deepens and you see the futility of running after desire. You will realize that futility as and when this becomes a conviction more and more for you. Where is the real that desire is coming from? The desire is coming from the separatedness feeling. And that will go away once you know that you are really not separate from anything. And all these transaction which we are doing in our waking and our dream or our deep sleep are mere expression of awareness or consciousness by itself. It is awareness which has become the dreamer, the dream world and everything. It's easy for us to understand that consciousness through the mind has become the objects of the world and we became the enjoyer, the individual who is enjoying the world. In reality, there is no separate objects there suspended somewhere in time and space to you know, have a reality. All of them existed in that consciousness which was reflected through the mind. Same way, the same mind is, the, is used in the waking for creating the feeling that you are a separate individual and the world of objects are hanging in time and space outside you is also in the consciousness, same consciousness which was projecting the dream and the waking. And the deep sleep is not different from that. So when you realize this and you see it as a play of consciousness or events appearing in consciousness, not really happening or there is nothing to really to happen because there is nothing other than you. Where can it happen? It happens always in you only. Once that becomes a 
a, a, a knowledge in you, a, a real, you know, conviction, or you know, you becomes part and parcel of you. Then the desires, you don't see them as separate desires. That desires are also part of the consciousness. It's appearing as conscious desires. If it is desire, it is desire. If it is dislike, it is dislike. But none of them are separate from you, or you are. You don't have a volitional requirement of having a desire or a hatred. It is all part of the consciousness, the activity of the consciousness. In the consciousness, these are all mere appearances. In reality, there is nothing happening. Once that conviction takes place, you live on with that conviction. Nothing in the world can shake you or challenge you because you see it, all of them as appearances only. Okay, Bhantaji. Thank you, Bhantaji, so much for helping me. Bhantaji. Yes, yes, please. What did you say? Uh, I'm done. I was just going to say that I will again go back to it. I'm sorry to cut off the next person. No, that's no, okay. No, that's okay. If you're not that's... finished, you're not finished. <laughs> that's fine. I'm finished, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bindati, one more question. Um, yes. Yes, Kelly. About uh, consciousness expanding on itself. How would you interpret that? It is not expanding anywhere because it is in itself. What we call it as expanding is a terminology which we are familiar to use for the purpose of using. In fact, in consciousness, nothing is happening. It is consciousness and consciousness is all. So there is no expansion, contraction or movement in consciousness. It is all. How, how can you say expansion? Expand means there should be, there should be a space outside it. There is nothing outside it. Sarvam Apnodi Sarvasa is the word used by the universe, union, the, the Upanishad. It is percolating everything. So where can you expand if it is everything? Thank you. Yes, Madhir. Thank you, Binduji. Um, I, um, I have lots of questions, but one question finally I could formulate is this. Um, as far as I've understood that the Shraddha is a prerequisite for understanding Purnata. Can you explain why is it so important in the Shraddha? Because if you look into our mundane world and mundane life itself, you have a faith in systems Otherwise, you will not be getting into an aeroplane or you will not be driving a bike or a, a four-wheeler because you have a shraddha or a faith that the manufacturer, the workers, each one of them have done their duty diligently and the product which has been received by me for usage is capable of doing what it is meant to do. So there is a whether we like it to call it as a faith or not, there is an assumed faith in every aspect of our life. You are taking a step for walking with the assumption that the earth will be there to support me. You don't even question that. There is a faith in our every breathing. 
when I'm breathing out, uh, there is a faith in me which I'm not aware that a next breath will go inside so that I'll be living again. This is what is called the Shraddha, what is being used in the Upanishad. That Shraddha, when at the higher levels of transcendental operation, where the mind is not really being used, there is that type of a aspect in built in every one of us, knowingly or unknowingly, there is not, no need for that. Because that is the reason why the, the expression of life, expression of knowledge, expression of steadfastness or the happiness, everything is being delivered because we have never challenged that, because we have a Shraddha in that. that Aspect is easily understandable in our day-to-day -day transaction rather than in the transcendental level. Because in the transcendental level, you cannot bring examples. That is the problem of it. So the words are what is used in the transcendent transactional level is used there for an under easy understanding. That's it. So Shraddha, I mean I understand the word Shraddha very well. Uh, I'm connecting very strictly with the, let's say if I have to agree, and this sounds arrogant, but I'm going to just keep it simple, is that if I have to agree with Purnata, then I have to have prerequisite called Shraddha in order to know more, go beyond that question, right? No, so you see the Purnata is not, is sort of assumed in this way. This is how I am dealing with it. I'm, I'm personally willing to go and abide in Shraddha if that needs, is needed. But the idea, and as beautiful the Purnata idea is, um, why is it even necessary? This is something I cannot figure out. Why does it, why a human mind and human whatever needs to have this Purnata and why cannot not be, I mean, you know, in many different times you said it is Anirvachani and that for me is more more considerate position than Purnata because when it is undeniably unspeakable, it doesn't have any claims whatsoever. So I'm, I'm a little bit uh, sort of remaining unsatisfied here. Uh, I hope I could have conveyed my unsatisfaction here. Uh, because I was, I'm always looking for a possibility of explanation without prerequisites of any kind, but it seems Purnata has to be related to this, this kind of Shraddha, isn't it? Or if I, or I'm probably pushing it too far, but yeah, this is why I'm asking this. Yeah. 
done speaking. Thanks. Yeah, Madhir, we have all have an, as I said, no, the knowledge that everything in our, in our life is transcended nature, temporary in nature, and have got a limitation in space and time. But as I explained to you, the I-ness with which you and I, we all lived our life, we know that it has not gone through a stage of variation in its expression or in the experience. So, in the transient world, all the transiency is being seen by a witness or a stratum or a substance which has never undergone a change because changes can be observed only from the changeless point of view. Otherwise, it is a relative measurement between that when you do not get an absolute value for it. So what happens is that we have now come to a stage that everything which we have seen in our world, life in, has gone through a conditioning by space and time. And I am observing or I am one who knowing these changes. Therefore, there is the I which is observing it without any changes happening to my own knowledge of myself. Therefore, there is a faith that there must be something for everything in which I have gone through the transients of the world. The entirety of the universe also, there must be something which is beholding everything. I do not know whether such a thing exists or not. So, in the absence of not knowing such a thing exists or not, since there is a reflection in me which is indicating that there is a possibility for a such a thing, there may be a possibility of a such a thing existing in the totality of things also. So accepting that is a requirement to verify whether such a thing exists or not. Before accepting itself, if you negate it, then you will not move forward to know that. So to know that, we are taking a step saying that, okay, let me accept that there is something called absolute or you know, that Purnatum or whatever may be that. I'm not sure about it because I don't know. I do not know it. So when I am accepting at that level, that is what is called Shraddha. So it is not a prerequisite per se, but it is a step mandatory for the progression of inquiry into knowing what is the reality behind everything. Uh, Menduji, you mentioned something very uh, sorry to stretch it, but I, I think this is the right moment um, for me at least. So you mentioned and like, you know, basically we know that uh, nothing has been yet measured to its finer, completely exact measurement of any kind. So everything seems to be fleeting this so-called completeness as we observe it in our Vavarika or uh, now, now why, so I understand that if I have a 
willingness to go forward towards completeness, once I settle that as a prerequisite or however you want to call it, obviously that will be found. Because it is like saying, uh, what is the size of pi? And this is the size of pi plus the missing part. Therefore, it will be complete. So as soon as I have a prerequisite of the missing part and an assumption of completeness, it can be fulfilled. What, uh, there is no problem as such. My question is, no, it's, this is not an intellectual question. This is more an emotional question. Why isn't, isn't this sound like a human desire for something beyond everything we have observed, everything which is humanly available. And this is, this particular idea of Purnata is everything we can observe plus the missing. And thus, believing that there is the prior, isn't, isn't it like, isn't it circular in that way? Um, it can it can help me emotionally subside into a beautiful space of endless openness and you know the the pervasiveness and all there can be a lot of beautiful things can be experienced hereafter it is just that sometimes i'm wondering um could it be simply the conundrum of human human state itself that in this state where we have never seen a single thing which hasn't moved except an assumption of the self the, the self which hasn't grown old um, this is felt and agreed upon by different people but we know that we die and then we don't have any control over that feeling and so Probably human beings need this Purnata to sort of, you know, um, simply feel good about it. I mean, that sounds tremendously boring what I'm saying, but like, what, yeah, what would, why is it even necessary, even if it delivers happiness? I mean, why do I have to look for that ultimate happiness? And could it not be that the construction of the desired mind, the desired self, which has been always desiring to find, uh, like against what all these changes are happening, there must be something against which. But imagine that everything is just changing, not against, and in relationship. So that was the other room of yesterday, where this was sort of the underrooted discussion, uh, basically. But anyways, this is, uh, I'm still struggling. And thank you very much for patiently listening this far. Thank you very much. Madhiv, here, I would like to tell you one thing. The question whether the idea is utopian or a desire to have a completeness or a wholesome or purnata, what we call it as here. 
whether you take it that way or not. The basic problem of happiness, beauty, sorrow, these are all abstract in the nature. Science can never measure it. But there are areas where science can measure it, like pi or length or length or volume anything. Even when it comes to the cosmos and everything, they, they call it as visible universe and beyond. Because that, that's all they could do it. So they have come to that stage of physical measurements point of view. Here we are not talking about that type of a measurement or a completeness we are talking about. The feeling of having satisfied feeling all the time. Now when we have a hunger, when we eat a food, there is a level of satisfaction. Can any scientific gadget or scientific method measure what is my satisfaction when I am had, had my food, which has quenched my hunger? Now, I know that per se as an experience for me, that is momentary because after some time, I'm getting back the hunger again. So if food is giving me a quenching or hunger and it is dependent on an object outside, a happiness, there are places, things where I'm not depending upon myself to be happy when outside things are not depending on me. For example, when I am not getting disturbed by anything. I am not disturbed by anything means I have no no way anything is disturbing. Not even my thoughts are disturbing me. I have a sense of fullness or happiness in me. Which shows me that the external objects happiness have got their own feel, realm. When external objects are not required, I have a realm of my own where Again, the satisfaction of undisturbed peace, which I am relishing or enjoying. When I am experiencing these two aspects, it is giving me a question to know whether, is there something which is beyond this? That is what is propagating or pushing me to find out, can there be a possibility? Is there some source where it has been referred? Is there some way in which can be achieved within myself or my knowledge or whether it is possible for me to, you know, fathom to that level, to measure myself up to that level where at all the time I have the same level of satisfaction when, when thing, whether things are disturbing me or not, that happiness is undisturbed in me. That type of a situation, how can I achieve it, is what is promi promising me to inquire and find out these things. But if I had not done that, if I had only depended upon the external objects giving me happiness, like quenching my hunger or thirst and everything, I will be always looking for world of objects from external world to meet, meet my happiness. But I found that there is a state where I am not disturbed by anything from the world outside, yet I was happy. That undisturbed peace within my soul. 
it gets disturbed when something else comes and takes away my attention so there can be a possibility of an existence of undisturbed happiness that is what we call it as the fullness and in that what is the state is that when there is nothing else other than me is the fullness what we are referring to it is not that i have become i have the separated feeling and i become the flower or the animal or the tree or the it is not that they all become non existent as far as my experience of happiness is concerned that is the state where i say that they are in me or they as individual has no more individual existence have no more individual existence and that is where i become everything this type of an experience is what is being referred here as bhuma in this upanishad thank you vindu ji um one very small thing i wanted to say and i think you sketched it very beautifully uh, i i uh, though i may use words like uh, number pi and all that i don't mean to break science in this room that's not my intent is but in other words like the day when i figured out i'm talking about myself that oh my god you know like 20 years ago 30 years ago i i'm always the same right so we, most of us have had this sort of the stable self against which the world has happened to us now now for me this was good enough why do i need to go for now the ultimate permanent constant never disturbed happiness of a kind this that desire to move and search for it is something to me sometimes is like wow could it not be that this was the product of the mind because you had already found the stable unchanging self without any effort whatsoever now from here the next question was reason that can i sustain this forever the 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 great happiness which can never be disturbed uh to me it's like uh, okay this is going to create a lot of sorrow till i have found it this is not so simple as to now make the self which i had found very small and look for ultimate self which is permanently undisturbed this search itself is so painfully dangerous or i don't know like in that way i meant the need for purnata uh, is this need not a need is this the destiny of a human or or can it be ever found kind of thing so uh, 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 this is not really a question so i know you wanted to go away half an hour ago so uh, uh, i'm just giving my thought out here and thank you again very much for a beautiful evening thanks yeah but here as you rightly said that unchanging self we all experience but there are two questions which remains unanswered under that circumstances what was it before birth and what happens after death 
is not addressed by in that equation. So there is a urge in me to know that unknown things which is the either end of the spectrum. It is that urge which is pushing me to find out whether this unchanging self is extendable beyond or was it present before. That is where the question is getting the, the motivation or the prime for further inquiry into how, what is the duration or what is the expanse of that self which is now being seen as unchanging or undiminishing in my experience of life but what happens before and after is what is prompting me to find because this is what is called as the Dukkham in this Upanishad. So that is what it prompts people to know why should I not get even when I am experiencing this sickness, the sickness is seen as something happening to my body and I am not definitely different from the body. Even though the pain is seen by the body, experienced by the body, I, the view, the one which is witnessing the body with the pain and all, has not got any diminishing in its existential value. That is why the, the question of how far and when did it start or when it is going to end or is there a beginning or an end is the question which is prompting us to enquire into further these things. Thank you. Um, uh, to me, this is fascinating because <laughs> obviously that time which or the limits of the beginning and the end were generated by the mind as we have we can very easily figure that out. And then believing that therefore the time will continue beyond me and then going after it, the question uh, is to also establish not the self, but also the time to be continuous and endless. And <laughs> so there, um, this is to me creating the confusion and uh, yeah uh, to me mostly in the in the i normally use the word nowness and i say devoid of space and time in which i find the resolution don't need to go anywhere there there is no there is no limit limit in the sense the mind is not able to generate any perspective in that now um, and thus uh, there is no where larger continuum of happiness is sort sort of to be to be looked for at least this is how i reside into it thank you very much once again uh, thank you yeah that is the only time when we realize that even time is not before the question of before and after itself is under a wrong assumption of time and space because time and space doesn't restrict my awareness it is in my awareness time and space exists so
so i am beyond the time and space that is why the time also has become of less only that is these type of enquiries only will prompt people to enquire into further these things whether they accept that completeness fullness or you know the plenum or uh, brahman atman then they need not accept it but the fundamental questions about consciousness or the awareness without the mind what we know about consciousness and awareness is function of mind no beyond the mind is something what is more important than what we are knowing in about what is really the pushing factor thank you madhir artisha you wanted to read something sure yeah so this is uh, re- recently this way leave yourself behind that image in the mirror your hands at work just there you are doing none of it closer than ever with no image to hide in dissolved seamlessly into it all go to sleep forget deeper washed away in a river in the sea in the sky everything vivid but freshly nameless each moment the only one each moment regardless timeless complete beautiful yes um i have a couple questions that was beautiful um artem artemisia um that was really <laughs> so i almost forgot my question i think <laughs> cuz i was reabsorbed in that <laughs> i um first can i ask did you write that book the hidden forces of life are you talking to me no the only book i ever wrote was on pub, uh, public policy i did i mean whoever writes everything wrote what i just read they came through me but i never wrote anything else like that okay no i meant i'm sorry i meant hidden uh i meant uh, um bindo but um did you write that then okay you were you were the scribe to to that um poem um okay now i'm getting now i'm getting you all confused sorry about that okay my question was uh i have a book called the hidden forces of life uh written by shri arobindo and i just i was just wondering if that if he was the writer um and yeah first i'll ask that one that question shri arobindo is a great yogic individuality <laughs> personality who lived in india and uh, he passed away 2 years before i was born oh so <laughs> my father was reading his books so when i was born my father felt uh, that you know there is no no better name than that to mm. name his son so i was given that name by my father so not I... realizing that not realizing that i may take to the spiritual path one day he he wouldn't have, he would not have had the vaguest idea that 
you know, I will be taking up that similar, you know, I, ideology or path myself. I hear, I hear that continue, that continued, that care, that you've carried it on. Um, yes, I have the book, The Hidden Forces of Life, and I, I literally read one page and really get had uh, understood something on a, a very profound level, which was that uh, every form is. Um, something that um well that i i have to reabsorb <laughs> more or less and be completely at peace with it to be um to, to understand i guess um just how my perceptions have really created you know forms that uh i think are outside myself but in fact they're they're within um but my question, I think you actually, I liked how you spoke about, um, it wasn't really a question, I guess. I guess I would like to say that I really um, enjoy hearing you and the questions that have come up. And especially about the time uh, space, I understand that um, so much better. Pretty recently, it's came to me a little bit even more. And now I've realized that that awareness that, one person doesn't possess that is actually um so this is kind of yeah i guess it is kind of a question so that awareness that i had um experienced was uh myself observing first it started with an, me observing other people at about four years old i remember being at um uh well i was raised as a catholic so we used to have wakes before the funeral where they lay the body out maybe other um you know, I'm sure others have the same type of thing, but anyhow, this was something that, you know, they would bring all of us children to as well. They didn't, um, you know, try to hide that, which was good. But uh, it was very interesting how I was observed. I just kind of started to observe. And then I had an experience of, uh, I would call that awareness now. Then I just called it a, a place where I felt like I knew everything, though I was four years old. <laughs> I felt like I knew everything and that there was no no me involved in it. And then I noticed that that's been without that's been with me through my whole life, and it never changed. It never seemed to have a, it never had a gender. It never had an um, you know uh, an identity whatsoever, except that it had it had all the knowledge and it, it consists of all the knowledge and i i believe that's probably the one the oneness that we all are and above everything else above the separation above the the materialization of our of our own being body wise uh and then i and i did um was very fascinated by um here on clubhouse actually a couple of years ago i heard uh a room they were speaking it was the yoga vashish they were reading from the yoga vashish i don't i don't totally know all of what i'm talking about just <laughs> that i felt very familiar with that scriptures with those scriptures i believe they're scriptures but i i don't know i felt very familiar as if um i was able to describe what i experienced and um, there was really nothing, yeah, um, 
This is interesting. It just felt like I created, you know, my perceptions and that, um, that I would reabsorb them. Actually, it seems like there's less, like less, should I say diversity, division, more and more and more. I mean, it's happening on a really like turbo, <laughs> feels like turbo. And I recognize that the time, that time is, is that awareness is why there's no time because that awareness is, always been there um would you say that that's so about awareness and what and how there is it's always been there there's never really it it, it always is there i should say yeah the, these type of moments happen to all of us yeah when it happens and how it happens we have no control of it but what happens is that like the green algae covering a lake when you throw a stone you see the water but after some time the algae covers it again the water is disappearing we don't see the water anymore these type of experiences always go unnoticed in many of the people but some of you like your case when you are the age of four you remember it you, it remains with you itself is a a blessing, I would say that you are able to be in it at your own volition. But most of us, when even such moments come, it doesn't stay with us. Even if we try to recollect it, it is covered so much with our other day-to-day -day problems of life. We, we brush it under the carpet and move on with our life. But lucky or the selected few are the people who hold on to that and are able to revisit and invoke that whenever they want. But those are the glimpses of our nature, our true nature, when we are not conditioned by anything, including our physicality or location, time and space. This is, it happens to very selected few. Hmm. Okay. Um interesting very interesting i didn't i didn't recognize that it's just selective people or a few hmm well i did go through much adversity <laughs> very much so and um and and yet i sort of remained kind of emotionless and people um have kind of said to me that it's it's bad it's wrong to not to not have the kind of emotion I guess I'm it's not that I don't have emotion I just didn't get shook by that very deeply now I don't know if that was actually good or bad I, I guess I don't see a lot of things as as you know just to say that they're good or bad or something's wrong or right you know um, more like a process I guess um, each person goes through but um yeah the okay those are society rules. We don't need such people who have their glimpse and are able to hold on to that are beyond the social norms and uh, expectation from the society because they know what is the truth and they, they are not worried whether the society accepts them or not. If you can hold on to that. Oh yeah, that, that's true. I somehow don't worry about it. <laughs> um, 
but my own children like to play a little guilt trip on me. <laughs> That's what I recognize. Enjoy. It's interesting. Enjoy. It. <laughs> yeah, it's quite entertaining. <laughs> it can be. It can be. And I have to try to be very compassionate with them. Because <laughs> I don't. I don't know how else to handle that with them because they they just can't you know I don't they can't see that where I'm coming from <laughs> but that okay. that's a, yeah. can that's I take an, part can I take another question Summer yes uh, hello Arabindo ji namaste namaste how are you namaste I'm fine thank you I wanted to ask you that just like Andy came and, uh, you know, just uh, in persons of those line. How, Binduji, how, when does one become ripe for, see, see, for example, see us, we are gathered here. Then some like have been with you from the start of the lecture. I came in the end. So everybody is in a, at a different stage. So uh, Binduji, how does that one soul become ripe or whatever that nothingness is, how does it become ripe to get it? finally why everybody is not there in one go and in relative terms i'm asking this question of course on the other side there is nothing but from this side bindoji when does one get really ready when does one become ripe for everything when that one thinks that he is separate from others we are all ripe all the time we have never need to ripe or ripen when we think that we are not right, that is the problem where it starts from. You are, to, you are not, the thing is that the expectation, see I always say that, the expectations are what is keeping the cycle of life going on. <clears throat> I have expectations for tomorrow, I have expectations for my future and my expectation from my close friends, relatives, family, children, all are expectations. We have never learned how to accept life the way it comes. The moment you shift from expectance to acceptance, you are ripe. Accept the way life comes, then you will know that really there was no need to expect anything. Everything for you is there, available at any time. Just take it, move on in your life. Yeah, got it. Thank you. See, satsang really helps. Sometimes, again, the mind wavers and, uh, yeah. But uh, thank you, Binduji, as usual. Yeah, you answered. You, uh, you answered my query. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. Time for me to retire for the day. So I'll take leave. Hariyom. Good night. Hariyom. Good night. Hariyom.